Thank you. Scribe. Yes. It's blasphemy, I tell you. Blasphemy. Scribe, take this down. There was a mob of people listening to this Jesus guy teaching. There's no law against that. Some people wanted to get a sick man to Jesus, and the crowd just ignored them. It shows how devastating being alone can be. The sick man was alone, but some people who believed Jesus could help joined together to let it happen. Did you see what happened next? They forced their way into the house and lowered him through the roof. Yes, that roof was totally destroyed. Malicious destruction of property. But did the, but did the owner mind? Mm, I don't know. How else were they supposed to get the paralyzed man in to see him? There's another one, practicing medicine without a license. I like it. Then Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? He told the man to get up and go home, and he did. The paralyzed man is known in these parts. He was healed. But for how long? It won't last. What do they care if this guy was healed? Most of them didn't even know him. The Pharisees knew that this was blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. But he is saying, if you accept this man is healed through me by God, you must see and believe my words are from God. Maybe, maybe this Jesus is the Messiah. Are you mad? He's some carpenter's kid who had delusions of grandeur and attracted a bunch of losers to him. Did you see how amazed that mob was? They called it remarkable and praised God. He must be stopped. I'm beginning to think that you are one of these Jesus followers. Well, I'm certainly not a follower of whatever you two say. I know what the law says. And that he has broken it time after time after time. He must be held accountable. Well, I mean, my heart says that he has broken no law except the law that we have created. Perhaps he's answering to a higher law, and he's being held accountable to that. Am I on? No. Because it's on. Check. Yeah. Now am I on? Awesome. Great. (laughs) Well, thanks again to our drama team. Uh, My oldest son, Liam, is in eighth grade, and he decided this year to try out for his school's track team. Now, he had never done track before, so I was a bit surprised when the night before the tryouts, he handed me this rumpled up permission slip that looked like it had been in his backpack for a while and just kind of said, sign this, I'm going to try out for track. Then he said, I I think I need you to take me out for some new shoes, too. (sighs) Well, fast forward a few weeks, he made the team. 
He had a few practices, and it was time for his first track meet. Now, I was so excited for him. His goal had just been to make the team, and then his goal had just been to run in an event. Well, it turns out they put him in four events, and he ended up winning his big race. And then he went on to win his race every single track meet the rest of the season. He had a great time. He looked so cute in his uniform. <laughs> and I was just the proudest mom. What I discovered, though, that was surprising to me was that track actually functions as a team sports. Yes, of course, individual athletes place in each race that they compete in, but those placements all get added up, and it's really the team who wins or loses the track meet. And that was what really mattered most to the kids out on the field throughout this season. They would cheer for each other. That's a picture of my son crossing the finish line, and some of the girls on the team are cheering for him. The girls would cheer on the boys, and the boys the girls, and vice versa. Uh, they would console the kids who were having a hard time finishing their race, uh, celebrate the ones who did great. The parents in the stands were cheering for everyone, not even just our own team. We were cheering for all the teams. We were just so excited. It looked at first like an individual sport. Uh, but it actually turned out to be a team sport, which got me thinking about our Christian faith, right? We live our faith like it's mostly an individual sport, right? It's, it's me and God. I read my Bible, I pray, I sin, or I don't, and if I do, I ask forgiveness. It's me seeking to follow Jesus in my little individual life. And then, for an hour a week or so, we kind of come do all that while sitting in a room together. Sometimes coffee or a donut is involved, but we live like it's mostly an individual sport that occasionally brings us here to refuel in the same place. But I wonder today, what if faith is something more than that? What if our Christian faith is primarily something we do as a team. There's a story in scripture. Our drama team acted it out very well for you, but we're going to take a look at it this morning. It makes us think about that very same question. It's one of my favorite stories, and I'm excited uh, to study it with all of you today. So we're going to take a look at Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? 
Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus' hometown was Nazareth, but his home base for a lot of his ministry was near the Sea of Galilee in this town of Capernaum. You heard it referenced, right, in the scripture when they were in Capernaum and they said, and they heard Jesus had come home. This is the town that Simon Peter was from. And if you were to go there today, you would see the ruins of a church built on top of what was thought to be Simon Peter's house. And so you're in the church and you can look down in this glass floor and actually look down below and see the ruins of Peter's house. This is amazing because they think this is where Jesus ate and slept and spent his time when he was in Capernaum, right? Because he didn't own a house there of his own. And that this is probably the site of quite a few of the miracles we read about in the Gospels, including today's story. So this house in ancient Capernaum would have been probably about 600 square feet. So think maybe the size of a studio apartment your first dorm room, a very small condo, something small. Picture when you walk through Ikea, right? Ever been to Ikea and they have those little fake rooms set up when you walk around the display area showing you how you can live uh, fashionably in the world's tiniest little space if only you just buy everything from their store. So one of those little rooms is what we're picturing here. It's super small, minus the Ikea decor. And the scripture says that when everyone heard that Jesus was back at his home base, they came flooding in from all over town. Like so many people gathered in this tiny little apartment that there was no room left. I picture people peeking in the windows and sitting in the windowsills and the door frames and crouched up on top of the furniture. Just people crammed in everywhere because they just have to hear this Jesus preach the word of God to them. There were some people, though, who were not able to come that night. The sick, the lame, the injured, the depressed, the afraid. We heard the story of how one paralyzed guy was carried on a mat by four of his friends. And how when he got there, the house was full, and they didn't just turn around and go home. They didn't just give up. They went up on the roof, and they dug a hole through the thatched material, and they lowered their friends down to Jesus. And then Jesus offered this guy both forgiveness and healing. And he got up from his mat, and he was miraculously able To walk. This is one of those memorable, great healing stories of the Bible. It shows us these friends who would stop at nothing to get their friend to Jesus, the one that they knew could heal him. And in the text, Jesus said, because of their faith. 
right? The word there was plural because of their faith, the friend's faith, not just the paralyzed man himself, not just one of the friends. Because of their collective faith, he would be forgiven and healed. I wonder, though, about the others, the other people out there in the city of Capernaum that night who were also paralyzed, maybe literally physically paralyzed, or maybe paralyzed in a way by grief or anxiety, illness, trouble of some sort. I wonder about all the others who didn't make it to Simon Peter's house that night to be healed by Jesus because they didn't have four friends who would put them on a mat and carry them over and dig through the roof and lower them down. Surely there were others in town who couldn't come that night because they didn't have friends with the kind of faith that would stop at nothing to get them to the one who would heal them. I look at this story, and I love how it says, because of their faith, the friend's faith, that Jesus will heal the man. It's like there is no rigid dividing line between the friends and the paralytic, that collectively they had faith, that collectively they got him to Jesus to be healed. There's a Catholic writer named Catherine Doherty, and she has this quote that I really like. It says, without prayer, the life of the Christian dies. I love that quote because you can kind of take it a simple way and then go a little bit deeper. So straightforwardly, it means without prayer, your spiritual self sort of shrivels up and dies like old fruit or something. But I love, if you look at it a little bit deeper, I love that her statement does not specify whose prayer is actually required to keep your faith from dying. So in these times when maybe you have felt paralyzed by illness or injury or guilt or fear or sadness, those times in maybe your life when you have felt like you are unable to pray. If you have people praying for you, then you have like stretcher bearers, like the friends who carried the guy on the stretcher. You have stretcher bearers who will stop at nothing to bring you to Jesus when you are not able to bring yourself. So teamwork is not just this nice lesson that our kids learn on the sports field. It is an actual spiritual practice. The life of Christian faith takes a team. And so I wonder today, very simply, do you have four friends like the paralytic had? Do you have four stretcher bearers? Do you have four teammates in your Christian faith? Do you have four people who really, really know what's going on in your life, those call-in-the-middle-of-the-night kind of friends? And are they not just nice people, but people with faith? People who will stop at nothing to get you to Jesus, the one with the power to heal and help and forgive. What if the life of faith is primarily communal? So do you have four stretcher bearers, and are you that stretcher bearer for someone else? It's harder than ever now, right, that people are becoming more and more isolated. Recent studies, even before the pandemic, were showing that people are spending considerably less time interacting in person now that we can do almost everything online. 
The internet can be a great source of connection, sure, but these studies are showing that not only are people spending more time alone, but also they are feeling more lonely and disconnected than ever before. So it's absolutely imperative as Christians, as church family, that we build community in our lives, even before we know we need it, and that we're constantly looking out for someone who might be too lonely to ask for the help that they need. So I'm not a real fast runner like my son Liam, but I've done a few 5K and 10K races. And a few years back, I decided I could maybe go a little further, and I signed up for a 15K race. That is just short of 10 miles. I picked out the Gate River Run in Jacksonville. That's where my family's from. So I was able to go back and stay with loved ones and run this race on a beautiful weekend in Jacksonville. I was in my corral in the starting line. It's a big race. There were 10,000 other runners when they got on the intercom and they explained that there would actually be two starting guns for the race. They said, one of them will be for all you regular people. I thought, okay, great. And they said, there will be another one five minutes earlier for those who are here attempting to qualify for the Summer Olympics. I was like, what? (laughs) Apparently, I had signed up for a race that was also a qualifier for the Summer Olympics that year in the 15K distance. And when you looked around, you could instantly tell who the Olympic people were. They were in the like running unitard aerodynamic outfits. They all had individual coaches with them. Their race numbers were a different number. They were doing all these complicated warm-ups. They looked very just sporty and important. They looked like they were about to qualify for the Olympics. So their starting gun went off and those folks took off sprinting. I bet they were halfway through Jacksonville by the time the rest of us got to move up to the starting line. And off we went. Well, I was having a nice time on this run. I was talking with the other slow people in my group, um, eating and drinking the snacks that they were passing out along the way. I took a few selfies from the course, just jogging along, seeing the riverfront of Jacksonville, having a good old time. Until we got to the last mile or so of the race, and you see the Hart Bridge in Jacksonville. It is big, and it is green, and it is a steep incline. In this race, they call it the Green Monster, or sometimes Heartbreak Bridge. Because after eight and a half miles, people see this incline and start to go up it, and they were just dropping like flies. Those who were running are now walking. Those who are walking are pulling off to the side and just sitting down on the ground. People are just really starting to struggle. I was chugging along just barely, and then we saw the Olympic people. They had finished their race, and they had come back to the peak of the bridge to cheer for us. Now, I don't know, uh, but if I had just qualified for the Olympics, I think I might have wanted to go out for breakfast and take a shower and go celebrate with my family. But no, these folks, after running almost 10 miles and qualifying for the Olympics, they came back and they stood for over an hour on a bridge to cheer 
for slow amateurs. And they would encourage each and every one of us. And they started coaching us. They would pick us out of the crowd and look and start telling us what to do better to make it over the incline of this bridge. They would say, hold your head up. Take shorter steps. You can do it. Stand tall. Keep going. You're almost there. And they cheered for us all the way down the decline into the stadium for the finish line of this race. You get the analogy, right? Running seems like an individual sport. But in that moment, it was primarily communal. Those who could did everything they could to help those of us who couldn't make it anymore. Now, this is one of the great things about being a United Methodist Church, too, right? We are a connectional church. You've probably heard that before, which, which simply means we are a team. This goes all the way back to the days of John Wesley. He organized believers in small groups. He had classes and bands and societies. These small connection points where people could delve into their spiritual lives together so that everyone could be strengthened. And so that hopefully nobody would fall away from their faith. And at every level of the organization, uh, John Wesley made sure we were connected to a leader and to another part of the organization so that no part of our church is on its own. The United Methodist Church is still a connectional church today. You all do so much to connect with the other United Methodist churches in Lakeland and our district, and our conference, and to the United Methodist Church all around the world. I loved when I got here today, and I saw in the front of your bulletin that you list not only your appointed pastors here to this church, but but me and Bishop Berlin as a way of just reminding each other each and every week that, that you're not all on your own, that we're here a team together. I remember in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian how you all became a staging area for tarps and flood buckets and water that went down to our disaster recovery ministry to the Southwest District. That is amazing. Thank you for doing that, right? Faith is truly a team sport. And so what I want to leave you today with is just a couple of questions. First, who is your team? Who are the people in your life, people of faith, who will stop at nothing to bring you to Jesus when you can't get yourself there. If you're not sure today, if maybe it's been, you know, it's been a while since you've made some connections, if you don't know who those people are today, that's okay. I am betting that you can find them here. This is an awesome church with so much going on. And as Pastor Nikki said, those activities are not just to keep us busy. They're to connect us to one another. If you invest in the life of this community, you'll find your team, you'll find your people. So join a group, volunteer for something, get on a committee, serve somewhere, whatever you want to do. If you don't have four stretcher bearers in your life, you can find them here. And then the last thing, if you're feeling great today, if you're one of the ones who can walk to Jesus, then just know that that means you have the strength to carry a stretcher, to dig through a roof, Your life of faith isn't an individual sport either. Someone is looking for you to be a part of their team. Would you pray with me? 
God, we're grateful for this story. We are grateful to be gathered in church this morning, and we're grateful to be reminded that you call us to a life not only with you, but a life in connection with one another. God, help us to grow in that connection throughout this week and this holy season uh, so that we might find four friends, find four stretcher bearers in our lives, and be those people for somebody else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks. Well, it was my joy to be with you all in worship today. Thank you so much for coming. As you go now, receive these words of benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with each one of you and give you peace. Amen.